Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk to the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Going good, Andrew. Good. Got a gloomy, rainy day on Thursday when we're recording this, and it looks like we're going to have some snow over the weekend. How are you it's feeling? It's not happening. We're not getting snow. You sure? I'm positive. All right. Well, when it does, I'll send you a video, and I'll be like, look, you promised. <laughs> So we've got a, a little bit of news to jump into this week. Uh, why don't we start with Eagle Tower? So the bids came in at nearly double the budget. W- what does that mean? Uh, that means it's back to the drawing board in some senses. So the original budget that the state came up with was about $2 million to reconstruct Eagle Tower. That included $750,000 that was raised by the Friends of Peninsula State Park, and then additional funds kicked in by the state and the DNR. The bid came in at $3.6 million. That was the lowest bid. They got several other bids much higher than that even. So what they're doing is they're going to take this back out to bid, and the DNR, I guess, is and their engineers are looking at ways that they can reconfigure this thing to bring it back down. They told me was that they believe they can get it reworked so that it can be completed within the original budget. So they're shaving somehow $1.6 million off this project. They said it's not coming through reductions in height. Um, It may come in simplifying the design for the ramp, which had like a lookout tower on the ramp as well. Uh, The the ramp was an 850-foot ADA accessible ramp to get people to the top of Eagle Tower. Uh, So they're going to simplify that design and possibly do some things differently with the materials. Uh, what those things might be, they haven't said. So walk me through this, because when I when I got your message about this, I was on a completely opposite track for, for what it actually meant. So uh, they have a plan, and they've, they've put together their budget for what they want to do. They send that out to bid for different companies to come in and say, we can do it for this. Is that kind of how that works? Correct. Okay. So when, when, you, when you said that, when you said that Eagle Tower bids come in at nearly double the budget, I was like, oh, good. They've got, you know, way more money to play around no, with now. No. <laughs> yeah. So that's, it's a bad thing. Yes. It's a, it's a, very bad thing for people who were hoping, as originally planned, that Eagle Tower would be open again this year. The original plan was they would be starting construction this spring and open late summer. Now the best case scenario is to start construction late fall, early winter, and possibly be open early summer of 2020. I mean, the the folks I talked to at the DNR were very confident that they could bring it down to that budget number. I'm not sure exactly how much faith I have in that right now. Um, and I don't know how much faith I have in that timeline, knowing how slowly these things move. They did tell me that a big, you know, there's another story where you're seeing the, the national story about tariffs imposed by the President Trump's administration on lumber and steel and other materials, raising prices and causing stru- projects like this to go significantly higher. So 
what the representative from the DNR told me was that their construction companies came in and said, you know, our prices for these goods, that's probably 15 to 30 percent of that over over budget amount is just related to the, the impact of those tariffs on local goods. Same thing you see in the housing discussions we've had. Every carpenter, every builder I talk to, every architect told me the same thing, that those tariffs are having dramatic impacts on the price of homes and building and anything related to where you're trying to do something with building materials. So. Right. Well, and we talked a little bit about that last week on the podcast for the sustainability issue in that there's all of these different types of ways that you might start to tackle the housing problem in Door County, but most of them are going to have to be with new developments. And in order to create housing that is both economical for the builder and also low cost for the renter or buyer, it, you, you kind of have to play this game. And the tariffs, that's not helping anything. No, no, certainly not. And one last point on the uh, Eagle Tower reconstruction is this. I, I wonder how this will play into the thinking with the Potawatomi State Park Tower. I've said this before. There is a group, the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society, that is working on their own studies of the tower and trying to evaluate possibilities for repairing it in place rather than tearing it down. Because um, what, what's important about that is they would look to this and say, all right, look what's happening with Eagle Tower. Those bids are coming in double what they thought. And that original number was much more than people originally thought when they thought they could, oh, we'll rebuild the tower for a few hundred thousand dollars just like it was. If you have to do the ADA compliant structure, it's going to drive the prices up a ton. And the likelihood of getting support, even if there was a lot of support for fundraising to reconstruct Eagle Tower, for people to look at that and say, all right, now we're looking at possibly $4 million to try and rebuild a tower that's just that doesn't really serve a function like how are you going to get all these people to donate that much if they wouldn't even they couldn't even get more than 750,000 for Eagle Tower in Peninsula State Park. So it might actually bode well for Potawatomi because maybe it makes the DNR more open to repairing in place. Right. Well, that was something that we had mentioned before. Last time we talked about uh, Potawatomi Tower is how do they follow up Eagle Tower? Eagle Tower had a lot of support that came out right away for for people coming in and donating, and Potawatomi Tower didn't have nearly as much support right out the gate. But I think that that's part of the thinking of like, okay, we just took down a tower, now we're taking down another one, we have to try to follow that. This kind of, it, it shifts the perspective a little bit on, on what it actually might mean to keep the tower, rather than just trying to follow the same the same flow chart that Eagle Tower took. Yeah, if I were a proponent for the Potawatomi State Park Tower getting preserved, if I were somebody who wanted that, I would definitely be in the ear of Joel Kitchens and the DNR and say like, let's reconsider what you're going to allow us to do here, because if this comes down, it looks like it might never come back. And can we be a little more flexible in how we repair this thing? Can we get a crane and repair it in place, possibly? there's People have done much more difficult reconstruction and historic preservation efforts than what would it, what it would require to even repair that thing in place. So, I don't know. There's It's going to be interesting how that one shakes out. The so good thing is, Notre Dame is not being repaired by the DNR because they'd probably look at that structure and say it has to come completely down. It's not repairable. It's we've got to junk it. So good. Good on you, French people. Right. Well, and then they'd probably build a big ramp there, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Peninsula State Park, the half marathon is coming up and registration for that closes on Monday, April 29th. Yes. So. Yes. We uh, we do have a few spots still open because we've had a number of people transfer from the half marathon to the 5K. It's been a long winter, so people didn't get all their training in. So what that does is it means we can extend registration for the half marathon for a few more days and fill up uh, maybe 
there's probably like 30 to 50 slots, depending on how many people still transfer, because it still happens. So yeah, we have uh, we have some openings still in the half marathon for people who want to squeeze in, and then we cut it off Monday night at midnight, and we get down to the hard work of getting that race all set up in the park all all next week. There currently is a lot of water down at, at Nicolet Bay on the grass, so we are kind of maneuvering things around. It, it won't pose any problems for us. It would just reconfigure things, but... The wet spring and all the snow we had is uh, leaving the ground very saturated. For those who don't know, give me the elevator pitch for the half marathon. Tell me a little bit about it. It's 13.1 miles on an entirely closed road course in Peninsula State Park. No traffic, no car horns, no gasoline exhaust the whole time. It's just you and about 1,500 other runners on the half marathon course. There's also a 5K Registration is still open for that. Um, that is a 3.1 mile out and back. It takes you past the Eagle Bluff Lighthouse, past Horseshoe Island off in the distance. It's just a it's a great event. A lot of really cool people achieving some, in many cases, something they never thought they could do. After, after the event, we have a big party down in Nicolay Park, that, down at Nicolay Beach, where we have open tab, great uh, duo playing music all afternoon. There are shuttles to take people down to the concourse so you don't have to worry about parking if you don't want to. You can park at Skyway Drive-In Theater or Gibraltar High School and just hop on one of those shuttles down to the park. It's just a a great day, and it's really a great kickoff to the season in Door County because a lot of these places are opening up now, and maybe they wouldn't have before the half marathon. Right. Why don't we head north a little bit? Uh, There's some stuff going on in Sister Bay this week. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, Yeah, I was at the Sister Bay Plan Commission meeting this week, and uh, one of the things that came up was Mitch Larson from On Deck Clothing Company. If you've been through Sister Bay lately, you've seen that he's doing a lot of refacing on the front of the building there. He is finally um, able to come through on an idea he talked to me about 10 years ago when he first bought that building. So the on-deck building was originally owned by his great-great-grandmother, uh, May Bunda, and it was in the Bunda family as Bunda's uh, kind of general store, department store, for a long, long time. And they used to have these classic signs up there. It used to be an old Rexall drug sign out the front. They had these old Orange Crush and Coca-Cola signs. And Mitch is a big proponent of preserving our history and, and nods to history. His Fish Creek stores on the corner, he kind of refaced those and brought them back to their historical look when he first bought those. 20-some years ago, and he's always wanted to do the same thing in Sister Bay. So he's done some cool stuff to the storefront there, and one of the things he wanted to do was take some of those old historic signs, these vintage signs, and put it back on the front of the building. And some of these are the type of signs that you would have seen in an old photo of Sister Bay. They used to have like a big billboard in front of Husby's, other big signs in the town. So he's going to, he got the approval to put up like these kind of cool vintage signs on the south-facing wall of the On Deck building, which is cool. I always admire those people who have those that appreciation for history, both his family history in that building and his, his long ties with Sister Bay. What's the challenge there? Why did you need to get approval for something like that? Well, it does raise a question. Sign, signage in Door County is kind of very strictly regulated because you don't, want, you don't want to look like a suburban strip mall area. You want to try and keep it classy. So most towns regulate um, even down to the materials you can use on a sign and how you light the sign. Um, in some cases, what colors are on the sign. I found that out after I made a sign for our business 25 years ago and didn't know that you had to get that approved first. It didn't even dawn on me. 
Then we put it up and they said, you can't have that sign. That was an expense we had to recoup. But there's there's reasons for it. You, you want your town to maintain its look and feel. And so you they don't allow people to just put up any sign anywhere. At one time, even at Husby's, we were restricted on where we could put neons inside the building because the signage was regulated based on whether or not you could see it from the center line of the road out front. So we could have a neon on the back wall of our building, like for Budweiser or something. But if I was in the center line of the street, if I could see that, we had to move it. That's been relaxed a little over the years, but that's kind of what they're going at. They don't still want it to look gaudy and tacky, I guess. So this particular sign is interesting because it's not advertising on deck. It's not an on deck sign. It's not a, it's not advertising something he sells. It's just kind of a cool nod to history. The problem is Orange Crush still exists. And he also talked about, you know, in the winter, you might have like cool holiday Coca-Cola sign. Well, Coca-Cola still exists too. So, and this remains to be seen how the plan commission is going to handle this. But technically, so you're allowing an extra sign that promotes the product of a multinational corporation. Meanwhile, you wouldn't be able to put up a sign that promoted, say, a local business like Al Johnson's or the Sister Babel. Or maybe you would. You know, if if Al Johnson's maybe had a, a 1960 version of their sign, maybe they would allow them to do that. But I don't know. That Would that be considered an off-site sign? So there's, it does raise some questions that I think the plan commission is going to have to address at some point or somebody's going to take advantage of this. What is different between that and, like, uh, any beer sign hanging outside of a bar? Well, if you'll notice, there's not many beer signs hanging outside of any bars. Well, I mean, like, if you go into a bar and they've got, like, a Guinness sign hanging up on the wall or something like that. That's inside. And, and these are going on the outside. This would go on the outside. So that's where the difference is. That's right. I, I might have not explained that as well. But, the, yeah, it's a south-facing wall. As you come down the hill in Sister Bay, you'll be able to see that. And, again, I... I actually think it's really cool, but I think it's it's hard to regulate this because Sister Ray Bowl might go, you know what? I mean, we have a really cool 1960s era Budweiser sign that's got like a Christmas thing to it. We want to put that on our building. Okay, so now they're able to promote Budweiser on the outside of their building and they sell Budweiser. Like, where's the line? Uh, so there's, it's going to be an interesting slippery slope that Sister Ray might have opened up there that they didn't intend to. And they, they may have to figure that out very quickly. So then my next question is, why is it different now? I mean, these were signs that were there years ago. Uh, is it just because the, the, the laws have changed? It's exactly because the laws have changed. When a town changes a rule and says, like, well, we can't, we're no longer going to allow backlit signs. When I took over Husby's in 1999, they still had a backlit sign. And the reason Husby still had that is because they passed the rule that disallowed that after Husby's already had their sign. So they're not going to say, oh, you you invested in this three years ago and, okay, you got to take it down. Once they pass it, in, in almost any case, like something like that is grandfathered in. And as long as you have that sign, you can keep it there. But if you replace it, if you take it down, then you have to adhere to the new rule. In our case, we actually wanted to adhere to it. We, at the time, we thought the backlit sign was a little tacky, and we put up, uh, we had a new wooden sign made at pretty large expense and replaced it. And most of the signs within Sister Bay have been changed. When, in 1999, you still had, I think, Ace Hardware still had an old backlit sign. Um, D'Amico's still had a backlit sign. There might have been one or two others. But since then, I think almost all of them have been replaced. And that's that goes for a lot of the towns up here. Um, otherwise, you see the kind of thing you see in Big Strip Mall. What else came out of this meeting? They they approved a few different odds and ends with uh, kind of the latest light fixtures for the front of the Marina View condominiums, uh, your typical plan commission uh, processes going through. No action on the big Sister Bay Hotel as of yet. The, the door hotel still slated now for possibly fall groundbreaking, but uh, it still remains to be seen if that happens. But there was one thing that I, I talked to plan commission chair Denise Berto about was the administrator search in Sister Bay. They have been without an administrator, a full-time official 
social administrator since Zeke Jackson left at the end of 2017. Some business owners have told me that it's uh, causing some problems over time because there's just not as much oversight and things aren't getting done as quickly. I think Janelle Supans in Sister Bay has done a really good job just trying to keep things moving along in the interim administrator role. But eventually, until someone's really official in that position, developers maybe don't know exactly who they need to talk to and who they need to work with to finish projects or to get projects off the ground. And business owners maybe kind of try and slide some things through and some things fall through the cracks. So they are going to start another round of interviews next week. Denise Berto had told me that the reason they don't have one yet is because they just didn't find a good enough candidate. And they didn't want to just hire someone to have a body in there. They said She said they really want someone who fits Sister Bay and is the right choice for the job. Um, hopefully find that soon because uh, we see in many other communities when you don't have someone fully in charge, it can cause some problems. Right. Well, and I mean, that's as good a reason as any to to keep it empty for now is because, I mean, you, like you said, you don't want to just throw a body in that place or yeah. in that position. So but why don't we take a little break? And when we get back, I want to talk about the one year anniversary of the Door County Pulse podcast. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about this week, uh, we were right around that one year anniversary of the podcast. So we've got 100 episodes out, which we do twice a week. So we're, we're just about in that zone. The first episode we ever came out with was our 2018 sustainability issue episode. And we just did the 2019 episode last week. So we're right kind of in that sweet spot for the one year anniversary. And I just wanted to chat about, you know, doing a year of the podcast and, and what, you know, what we've learned. And, and we can we can peek at some of our, our most listened to episodes as well, if you want to, because uh, I got a list of those. And, and the, the insight that I got from looking at what people are really like keying into was was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, first, before we get into that, I think it's important to mention that like there's no way we get to a year of this podcast without everything you have done to both get this thing off the ground and then keep it on schedule and keep it happening twice a week, every week, around all of your other duties and other people in this office duties. It takes a lot of nagging and planning and editing. So kudos to you because this does not happen if you're not here. So for all those listeners who enjoy this podcast, if you see Andrew Clyden out and about, um, thank him for delivering this podcast every week. Well, and thank you, Miles, for the kind words and for helping me get content for this every week. Um, when Matt was here, it was really great to have somebody to lean on to, you know, always have the events for the weekend ready to go and to have somebody to go in with. But for the Friday podcast, I really lean on you for what we're going to be talking about. Aaliyah Kidd has been really great at scheduling interviews and she's been really 
really influential in our one-on-one series where we interview people from restaurants and all over the place. That's been really great. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second, but those episodes do really, really well. People really like the restaurant people stuff. apparently like to eat. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it takes a village to do this kind of thing. I, I try to push it along and keep it moving because I know when the, the drop dead times for things are like, if we're, if we're not recording until Friday morning, something, something has gone wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I've got to meet a lot of different people and talk to a lot of different people, learn a lot of different things. Um, I try to pick up the pulse every week and I, I stay abreast of the articles that are coming out on the website and the Facebook page, but getting to actually dig deeper and to provide the context for these articles has been the best part for me because I, I've got to meet a lot of people through Filmworks and interview people and learn a lot of personal stories about Door County, but staying abreast of the politics and the news, uh, that's been really great too. It, it's awesome how much I've learned and how much I can like talk about things. Uh, again, I've only been here four years now in the county, but I feel like I, I've, I've really started to learn the story. You're probably more well-versed on county politics and issues and the people here than like 80% of people who've lived here their entire lives who kind of sit in their own little bubble. Like you get out every day, you're in these different businesses doing film, uh, talking about these topics in here, probably in greater depth than most people. So no, it's just great. But enough about us. Let's talk about the what the listeners have liked best from our our first year podcast. Well, the the first thing that I want to say is the the one-on-one series of restaurant interviews that we've done, those far and away do really, really well. So I'm going to try to lump those up together and kind of push them out so that some other episodes have a chance to shine because sure. otherwise, yeah. you know, seven out of the 10 would be our restaurant profiles that's, that we've done. It's awesome. The, the number one listened podcast episode far and away uh, was an episode called Lessons Learned from House Hunting in Door County. And that's where you, Aaliyah Kidd, and myself talked about, uh, it was kind of a prelude almost to the sustainability issue this right. year, where we really dug in and we we shared our stories with what it was like to uh, be new people in the county and trying to find housing. Um, Aaliyah and I had a really similar story in that we were able to buy fixer-uppers and we've really been, you know, living that like young new couple lifestyle where every day it's, you know, hey, this is broken, let's fix this or let's paint this and that kind of stuff. And let's so. be clear, not you and Aaliyah as a couple. Sure, but but that's the life you live yes, separately. <laughs> right. Yes, thank you for clarifying. Me and my wife have been, you know, we've painted all of our rooms, we laid down new carpet, um, we've been having to deal with fixing things that were broken and undoing things that were done incorrectly or differently than we want, um, and Aaliyah and her partner have had a really similar story in that as well. Number two, and this one is, uh, it, it's a recent podcast episode and it's done really well, but I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that it's done really well, and that was when uh, we had James Larson in from Husby's to respond to TripAdvisor reviews. Yeah, I have heard more feedback on that podcast than any other. I mean, a lot of people talk to us about the the housing podcast and said that opened their eyes about some things or reflected their own experience, which is great to hear. I mean, even though it's an experience that's not super fun, but it's great when we are reflecting the community that we represent. And James, that one also reflected the community of restaurant workers that we represent. And I think it was a very cathartic experience for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing too. I mean, when you think about Door County, we have a 
ton of different food options up here. And it, like, say there's 90 restaurants in Door County, and I'm sure there's more than that. But that means that there's not just 90 people behind them. That's, that's a huge portion of it. And when you, when you think about the population of Door County, it's a pretty big percentage of people who are working both uh, on the front lines at the wait staff and behind the scenes in the kitchen. And, and everybody has to kind of deal with that whole uh, restaurant lifestyle. So this was a really great uh, way to kind of dig into that and, and, and bring, some, bring some levity to it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the one where it, if I said, like, all right, if there's one podcast you got to listen to to get a taste of what we're doing, I would point him to that, even though it's a little different than a lot of the ones we do. But that's mm-hmm. that really represents what the lives of a lot of people are like day in, day out up here is dealing with customers and dealing with the frustrations. Right. So thank you, James, for coming on the podcast and being willing to do that. The next two that I have here are pretty similar in terms of uh, of style, but they were they were pretty heavy hitters early on in the lifespan of the podcast, and that was New Sister Bay Hotel, What It Is and What It Isn't, uh, and then The Fate of the Granary were two episodes that we did both on pretty controversial things at the time, and, and people really responded to that. Yeah, and... I- that's another one where it was great to hear people say, oh, I had never thought of this or I had not known about this. And these lo- these long-term issues like this, kind of the background can get lost. So it was nice to do a- those two podcasts and really give some perspective and context to both of those issues. Unfortunately, that t- context is not getting any clearer in some cases because these issues don't die. That right. hotel is still not built. The granary is still not settled. And we'll probably talk about them again. Right. They're, they're a really good jumping on point, though, if you want to learn more about the topics. So a little secret behind the scenes of how I will sometimes come up with things to talk about on the podcast is I uh, am on our social media constantly, whether that be, you know, just checking out and seeing what's being posted to the Pulse's Facebook page or starting to move content on there myself. But when I see an article go up that gets 50, 60, 100 comments from people. That's one that I want to dial in on because that, uh, yeah. that is something that people are talking about. And that was the the reason that we we did the new Sister Bay Hotel one because there were so many people who were kind of really passionate and really vocal and kind of at each other's throats about it. And we wanted to try to deliver as much context as possible for it. Yeah. The granary was the same way. I mean, we approached that of like, let's go back to the beginning and try to tell the entire story up to this point so that everybody's kind of on the same page when they're when they're talking about it. Yeah, I mean, and I got some emails recently from people who are very invested in the West Waterfront and are still pushing ideas that I'm like, that's not true. You, you've been in this whole thing and you still see it as a certain way, yet I know some of the facts that you're sending me are, are incorrect. And this person was like, no, you are wrong. And I would say, no, here's the actual document. And then they would say, no, but I don't agree with that. You, you can't agree or disagree with, with a fact. It just, just is. Right. Uh, at number six on the list was It's Not Goodbye, It's See You Again Soon. And that was our farewell to Matthew Marcon, who was a longtime co-host of The Weekend Primer and helped us out with the podcast every single week. Um, he moved off to California to be with his uh, girlfriend and to live at Disneyland. So <laughs> that's where he is. Um, but we still keep in contact and he still listens to the podcast. And uh, it was it was kind of cool to see that his last episode kind of spoke to people and, and rose up to the top of the chart. Yeah. And, and maybe that's, you know, it might have spoken to a lot of the struggles that people have here. And when they decide, uh, can I can I make it here? Can I stay? Is this where I need to be right now? Or is this where I need to be five years from now? A lot of the same questions that Matt was grappling with at the time that he decided to move out to California. 
Right. Well, and that's something that, I mean, we've had this conversation with other, uh, especially younger members of the Pulse team who grew up here in Door County. A lot of them say the same thing in that they love being here. They loved growing up here. They don't necessarily want to leave, but they, they owe it to themselves to experience something else for a while. Right. Um, and, and that's can't kind blame of the same thing. Exactly. I did that. Uh, and the last two that I have here in my list are 34 things to do during Door County winter, <laughs> which uh, was also a really popular article for the Pulse, wasn't it? Yeah, got a lot of play. I mean, it's when I put that together, I just wanted to remind people that, like, okay, we don't need to go into the doldrums now. We don't need to be bummed out about winter. We just got to embrace it. We're going to be here anyway, kind of like I used to tell my basketball players. I'm like, you're going to be in this gym for the next two hours, so you might as well give me all you got and get the most out of it because I'm going to be on your case anyway. So it's the same thing in uh, in approaching the winter. It's like, well, you're going to be here for it. So let's find some a lot of these ideas and put them down before we, we forget that they exist out there for us. And let's go make the most of it. And it was a great winter to do that. I mean, we had tons of snow. We had great conditions for skiing and, and fat bike riding all winter long. So, Well, and, and hitting on what you just said there, sometimes we can feel like, oh, the winter is slow or it's dreary or you start to go stir crazy. But your your whole thrust was like, hey, you know what? Let's Let's think. Let's rethink about how we we deal with winter and start looking at it as an opportunity to do lots of fun things, right? Yeah. And now now spring is here, and I'm actually kind of bummed in a different way because a lot of the friends I've been hanging out with all winter are like, yeah, um, I can no longer hang out because I work six nights a week in the restaurant. <laughs> right. Yeah. I hate like the first three weeks of spring just because it's wet and brown and there's nothing going on. So I think your next starter goal should be 34 things to do during the first three weeks of spring. Yeah. Well, that might actually be harder than winter. Sure. Uh, and then last up in our number 10 spot is educational funding with Dan Turnagel and Wisconsin's water quality challenges. So this is actually an interesting episode. It might be our longest episode that we've done. The first half, we did a little bit of news and then we brought Dan in and you sat down with him to talk about educational funding and why referendums are important. Specifically because referendums pass up here in Door County pretty overwhelmingly. Um, And over the last year, we saw a lot of money being asked for in these referendums and all of them passed, which says a lot for how Door County looks at its educational system. Well, especially when you look at our population, most Door County residents don't have kids in the school. Right. Most of us are like our average age, I think countywide is uh, in the 50s. A really high percentage, I think maybe higher than any other current county in the state, is retired. And yet all these people still vote to fund our schools, not just at the base level, but to make sure they, that we maintain excellent schools and give our local kids like the best chance to get the, the best education you can get in this isolated community. So it really is different than maybe a lot of the other communities that pass these referendums that um, maybe don't have that diversity in the the population base where maybe you have a small town where most of the people are pretty connected to the school. Here, there's a lot of people who are disconnected, yet they still support it. Right. And the second half of that podcast, I actually sat down with Jackson Parr, who um, worked for The Pulse for a long time and is still continuing to write articles for us down in Madison. He's mm-hmm. kind of our, our little mole that we have down there on Capitol Hill, who's paying attention and, and bringing us back all the juicy tidbits. And what we talked about there is is a really interesting proposal that because different um, sources of like water pollution emit different levels of pollution, that larger sources might be able to basically invest in smaller sources in order to bring their overall level down. Uh, We explain it much better in the podcast, but it's really interesting. And one of my favorite episodes that we've done, just because like as he was explaining it to me, all of the puzzle pieces started to 
to fit in my head. And I was like, oh, this makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really fun to talk to him about. And if you've got an hour where you want to sit down and really learn something about you know, things that you might not have dug into before. So the, the educational part with Dan and then the water part with, with Jackson, I really recommend that episode. Yeah, I, I think Jackson does a great job of covering stuff for us, both when he was here and down in Madison, but also explaining it and kind of breaking it down. And you call him our little mole. I, it's probably the only time Jackson's ever been described as little. He's a tall man. He's a tall he's man a, with lots of hair. Lots of hair, big beard. Um, he's a lot of fun to have into the podcast. We had him a lot more in the early episodes. So if you go back to the beginning of the Dork County Pulse podcast, Jackson was on more often than you were, Miles. Right. Which was great to, to chat with him. Um, and it's really cool that he's able to come back every once in a while and, you know, fill us in on what's going on down there. Yeah, Jackson, come back more. Well, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week, Miles. Thank you so much for chatting with me. And for the listeners, thank you so much for giving us an awesome first year of the Door County Pulse podcast. We look forward to uh, continuing on, and it, it's it's been great to hear feedback over the last year. The I mean, people come up to me and tell me that they're not only are they listening, but they're learning from it, and they appreciate it. And uh, at the end of the day, if we can if we can help people learn a little bit more about the county that they call home or vacation to, or provide just a little bit more context to the to the news that's going on, uh, that's all we hope for. So thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, uh, I echo that, Andrew. Um, thank you to all the guests who've made time to come into this kind of humid little pod closet we have here at the Pulse, and uh, and to everybody who took a shot on a local podcast and thought like we might have something interesting to say thank you we'll try to keep it interesting and tell your friends get more subscribers great see you miles bye andrew these stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the peninsula pulse available throughout door county for more headlines visit doorcountypulse.com don't forget to subscribe to the door county pulse podcast for your weekly pulse picks interviews and exclusive content from the peninsula pulse thank you for listening we'll see you next week